Inorin Mayor on this Tuesday afternoon and I'd like to welcome back on the program the one and the only Andrew Dembina. It's great to speak to you, sir. How are you doing? Good good to speak to you too, Noreen, the one and only Noreen Mayor. How That's, are you? Yes, I'm After very Easter. Yes, I'm very well. Um did you have a nice Easter break? Yeah, it's funny. I'm sure a lot of people will feel like this, but uh, kind of blended into the the rest of the weird time that we're having these days, really. Not sure what's a holiday and what's not. Exactly. How about you? Yeah, I feel the same way. And I, I just think that people in Hong Kong are so good at disciplining themselves. Well, I, I hope I hope that they are. Um, you know, mm. just going out um, out and about. I don't see too many people, but I didn't go hiking this weekend because I, I was a bit worried that everybody would go hiking. Um, and and yeah. I did see some pictures of some crowded areas. But then there are same other here. places that were quite quiet. I mean, yeah, what did you see? Mm. Well, I mean, I saw those reports in Saikung that were really bustling. Um, I mean, I, I have to take out a big dog every day. I mean, it's part of an, a good excuse to do some exercise, to be honest. A dog that needs a lot of running around. Um, and yesterday, um, there was actually a tour group when I took them out in the morning. So that's people wearing the same coloured vest so they could be easily identified, keeping their distance a bit more. But what, why go on a tour um, at the moment? Because... Whatever transport they're on, um, this is, um, you know, to get to the ferry pier on Lama Island, they're going to be um, uh, possibly clustered together either on public transport or a private bus to get them to the pier. And then um, and then they, I, I, I didn't hang around. I just, I went past this group of fluorescent vested people and then went off into some uh, um, sort of soil paths, unpaved paths into the hills, which is... Uh, where there are fewer people. Exactly. So, oh, I know, yeah. I, I, I agree. I just think it just takes a few more sort of weeks maybe of, of self-discipline and then hopefully this this will sort of blow over. You know, I was talking to Nathan yeah. Sawyer just now and, you know, mm. his business, he's had to sort of close his business, uh, close the doors and just do online tutorial and I'm sure a lot of people in his position are doing the same thing. You know, there are people's livelihoods being affected. Um, if well, we can all just do our part, then hopefully this will... Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's um, uh, in 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 my area in media as well. I mean, a lot of because I work in non-news, a lot of the uh, work I would normally be doing um, isn't happening now because it was uh, revolving around events or uh, things to do with the art, sure. say, or of uh, and, uh, and food was, and drink. March was yeah. Art Month, and you know we've had Basel. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. we've not had anything really. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I mean, we uh, we 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 know that everyone's frustrated, but uh, but I think that um, tours, for example, should be just um, directed to be cancelled by uh, by the government. So, you know, and then they should pay whatever it costs to compensate those people. It's not, you know, people don't need to be um, going out doing these things in clusters. Anyway, anyway, that's, that's the <laughs> off topic. Exactly. Yeah. So let's jump right in. So what have you got for us uh, this week? Well, everything uh, in the spirit of what we were just saying, though, Noreen, everything I'm going to talk about is what we can do, uh, happenings or things to look back on in a reflective way online to do with food and drink. Sure. Uh, because, you know, people are spending more time at home and, and needing diversions. Um, well, while talking about online, though, um, I just want to mention that a bit of news that come, came my way just from general food and drink news that I get uh, the winner of um, Bangkok's BK Magazine Top ta- Tables Awards for 2019 for uh, their Young Chef of the Year last year 
um, his name is uh, uh, Dipanka Kostler, um, is, is launching a fundraising campaign to feed the jobless and hungry people um, of Bangkok. Um, I mean, you know, he can't, he, can, he can't feed them all, but it's one. It's another one of these kind of heartwarming bits of news about a restaurant trying to do their bit to uh, to contribute in difficult times, where they're only this particular um, uh, restaurant is doing mostly takeaway business. It, it's uh, decided to uh, to launch a fundraiser. Um, it, it's reacting to the fact that um, in the news. Um, Thailand's tourism sector that contributes thirty uh, percent of the country's GDP wow. is um, is is down is flat on its face, and that's something that's a third of the country's revenue comes from tourism uh, and hospitality. That's restaurant uh, industry as well. Yeah. So um, that, there's, a, there's a major impact there. Of course, we've got it here, but it's just uh, just to think about somewhere else for a moment. And um, the uh, the mission of his campaign is uh, to. Uh, is, is, is purely to, to, to help people out and get a smile from some, from some people that, that can't afford um, full nutrition. You know, restaurant workers, the most poorly paid, mm. who in Thailand obviously will be paid uh, less than they are even in Hong Kong. Wow. And um, also, it, that's really heartwarming because, you know, often mm. when we talk about food in, corona, in, in times of COVID-19, it's people sort of buying up all the rice or buying up pasta and flour. Um, but here's yeah. somebody sort of actively doing good for their community. Like you said, he can't yeah. he can't feed them all, but he's doing his part. Exactly. If anybody's interested in having a having a look at this, I'll just I'll just give a mention. You know, I mean, there's plenty of needy causes here as well. But if anyone's curious in seeing what he's doing, you can have a look at uh, the gogetfunding.com page. So gogetfunding is one word. dot com, uh, and. Uh, Look for the page, uh, search the page, hashtag no one hungry, or one word, no one hungry. I mean, you know, there are plenty of causes that need attention here, but it's just interesting to see what's going on elsewhere, whether people contribute mm. or not from here. Um, and um, talking about people doing things for fundraising, in the um, zooming from Thailand to the USA, um, there is something going on, something of a kind of arty um, project. That's, that seems to have been uh, mushrooming across lots of uh, people connected with the food and drinks industry in America. So a recent report in Eater magazine noted that uh, people in the now very much closed restaurant industry in many of the states of, uh, of the U.S. are turning to drawings, artful renditions of the food they miss. And this outputs like sketches and paintings that people who were previously working in kitchens and some of them are food writers even, is being sold on social media, sold or um, put on social media asking people for donations and then they get the picture in return to, uh, to raise funds for restaurants in America. Um, drawings and paintings have been flowing through Instagram feeds mostly um, in the place that in the place of what we'd normally be seeing on Instagram, which is mouth-watering photos, you know, that are designed to get would-be di- diners salivating and going into restaurants. Instead, you've got people like, uh, uh, and I've sent you a couple of uh, links. Um, there's a pastry chef. This is one of them. Natasha uh, Pickowitz is a pastry chef, and her handiwork is normally, you know, seen on cakes or pastries or uh, even ice cream that she makes in. Uh, a two-day restaurants and cafes in uh, in New York. 
see from mid-March has been, um, you know, not doing the work in the restaurants, but on Instagram, on her feed, she's turned to sharing work online and she's doing sort of watercolour and ink renditions of, uh, of her desserts and cakes, which is, which is nice. And she's uh, set up for um, certain cafes a, uh, a funding scheme so that anyone who follows her on uh, Instagram can uh, can bid for uh, they can give a donation, send her proof of a donation to uh, to the restaurant. Um, she gives details for each restaurant. They'll have a separate kind of funding uh, donation website. And if somebody proves that they've donated to that, then they go into a hat like a lucky draw, and uh, and they can win their drawing. And uh, she is at. Liz Ryan Designs, that's all one word, on Instagram. You know, th- 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 this is a creative solution to trying to, um, to, to inject a, uh, a, bit of, a bit of money into some of these cafes. The idea is that the money goes to these cafes and they can share it between their costs at continuing to pay rent and to uh, divide it up to give to other workers. It's not going to be a huge money spinner, but it's, uh, it's just showing that people are doing something to help. Mm, wow. Yeah. And, oh, it, sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, and also uh, another link that I that, that I sent that goes across from the pastry chef that I just mentioned to a food writer, somebody called Hugh Merwin, and his Instagram feed is normally uh, filled with um, the uh, layouts of food writing that he's done with my photography next to it. But uh, he seems to be quite a good sketcher, with uh, mostly in uh, monochrome, black fine-lined ink drawings uh, about three weeks ago he posted a few black and white cartoon or illustration type drawings that he'd done he got such a good response that he decided to ask for people to tell him what's their favorite food um or imaginary food or food related uh, image that they would like him to uh, draw for them and if they sent him proof of a donation to a non-profit uh, fund, and he names a couple that he supports. One's called Feeding America, another one's called Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. If, if they show him that in a direct message, then uh, he will post a custom drawing for them. It's like they're commissioning him to do something that's like their favourite dish or something food-related. So recently, somebody asked him to do a, uh, a mushroom riding a scooter, and he did one of those for them, which is just a fun thing to do because they showed him a donation to one of these worthy causes, which um, you know were for the one of the causes that I just mentioned before. So... His name is Hugh Merwin, M-E-R-W-I-N, if anyone fancies. Follow having him a look on at... Instagram. Yeah, yeah. His, and um, very, very nice uh, black and white. I mean, he could be an illustrator, really, and he hasn't done much of it before, apparently. Very nice drawings. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, since you suggested a world um, uh, global food news and, and, and drink news as well, I've been looking up at... You know how the what the impact of the coronavirus uh, is mm. on our sort of food uh, supply. Actually, Backchat yeah. um, talked about it uh, about two weeks ago, um, mm. and actually now, if, if you Google sort of food supply, um, the BBC has just re- recently uh, written an article about it. CNN, uh, the New York Times. Um, I, I won't go into mm. too much detail, but the, the article done by the BBC is, is very good, um, and I'll just yeah. summarize it briefly. Uh, number one, that that the first impact is that. Uh, 
uh, milk down the drain is what they call it. They're saying that with coffee shops uh, sort of closed completely in in some countries, there's an oversupply of milk. Um, say for example, in America, um, mm. dairy farmers of America, which is uh, the the U.S. biggest dairy co-op, they're estimating that farmers are having to dump about 3.7 gallons. That's 14 million liters of milk every single day because of wow. this disruption uh, in supply routes. <laughs> so that's colossal amount. That that is a lot, right? I can't even. I can't even. I don't know. I can't even no. fathom. Um, and then there's the, the issue of crops uh, going to waste as well. With some of the closures, uh, which are impacting mm-hmm. the different areas of agriculture, um, some of them um, are just you know there's, there's no there's a disruption in the supply chain, so that, that they're not being delivered uh, to to the places. And then on top of that, people are being quarantined uh, or having to work from home or stay at home. There are just not enough workers. So, no. you know, it, they, they can't, the, the, the food won't have, won't be able to go to the retail consumers. So there's a gap mm. between the farmers and the consumers. Anyway, it's just really sort of interesting to, to think yeah. about the impacts of, of food security. And there. right now we're not facing food mm. security problem, but we're facing food uncertainty problems. That's what the article is sort of suggesting. It's very interesting. Mm. That is interesting. There's, um, I mean, issues such as wastage. I did see something two or three weeks ago in Europe that uh, beer factories in Europe were um, were faced with beer that was ready to be bottled and produced, um, but they didn't have all of the uh, uh, they didn't have the demand because a lot of it was made with restaurant orders in mind, which were now closed, um, and they just couldn't get the manpower to get these out and to bottle them instead of them being sent to restaurants that they were destined for. They were meant to be sent to bars and restaurants in barrels or kegs um, and the process for uh, putting those into bottles is, um, is is not exactly the same as when you, uh, you know, when you brew something that's intended to go into a smaller barrel or keg in the first place. They were trying mm-hmm. to rectify that before it all went off and had to be poured down the drain basically that's the uh that's the beer industry wow. and in the uh yeah and in, in, in the wine industry um the um the, the grapes you know which are being grown uh which in the northern hemisphere um will be coming into what what should be the time where they get the most sunshine during uh, from spring to summer and uh, they would normally be uh harvested we're still a long way away from this in autumn but um, there are a lot of questions going going around about, um, you know, how this is going to work in terms of labor doing it because people, you know, the free, the free for people around is not the same as it, uh, as it would be during normal um, vine um, farming uh, times or the harvest, which is a crazy time that normally goes on through day and night. Uh, that's some time off, you know, fingers crossed that they will still be able to do that in a fairly normal way. Um, in what is the Northern Hemisphere uh, awesome. So we'll, yeah. see. well, it's not bad yeah. news for everyone. I mean, it's good news for 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 sales of orange juice. I heard that you know that they've they've been on a on a decline in the past, but you know they're just boosting, and uh, the futures prices of orange juice has just soared mm. um, in the past yeah. few weeks. People are just turning to those uh, immune boosting properties. Yeah, of orange juice. Yeah. <laughs> that's well, that's true. I mean, obviously the. Uh, as we've mentioned before, and you've mentioned it in passing today, but but the flour millers and processors, those making flour, 
Must be having their Christmas time right now. They can't get enough of it out there for people to buy. Exactly. So, I so. learned from Backchat that Kazakhstan was actually um, is actually one of the the the, the world's largest. Uh, one, well, one of them. Turkey is, I think, is one of the biggest. But Kazakhstan, of all places, oh, uh, right. biggest yeah, flower producers. Yes, it's oh. very nice. Sorry, that was my right. <laughs> that was my right. best uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a famous uh, as a famous uh, honorary. Borat. Um, well, okay. While we're while we're not always able to get certain ingredients, though, which um, I, I managed to get my hands, by the way, on uh, this Easter weekend, some flour. Finally, so this week I plan to be making some bread, which has taken me weeks to do. My son had to do something school-related um, uh, briefly in Tongchung over the weekend, and uh, and I asked him, of course, um, I'd failed mentioned before a couple of weeks ago to get uh, flour in supermarkets on Hong Kong Island. Um, I asked him to try and get some there. Totally empty, of course, the uh, the shelves two days ago. But uh, finally, uh, I managed to get some. Not saying where, of course. I'm going to keep that to myself. Oh, I was going to. Well, I was going to say you can <laughs> yeah. get some online from uh, from HKTV Mall. I think you can get some. I ordered some there, and I'm not joking. It it arrived frozen. And it was from Italy, I think. Which, coming to think about it, should I be worried? Wow, there's a, there's all sorts of question marks over that little story. Yeah, but it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, Don't that's, think about you know, it. That's, maybe it's you know not from the north of uh, Italy where the where there's where it's been uh, you know a serious lockdown. I, I doubt their well, flower I... productions. I still have faith. I still have faith in Italian products. I'm sure. I'm sure it was all cleansed before it was exported, or maybe it was just stock in Hong Kong. But um, talking mm. about flour, have you seen the the kangaroo brand that we often see in yeah. supermarkets? So I just found out that's actually a Hong Kong, a local brand. Well, For that's the, longest... the flour that I. That is the flour that I managed to get, Noreen. Oh, and, and I and I haven't I haven't seen or looked at that. Um, yeah, it's not out of any, like, I'm not having that kind of thing, but <laughs> I just hadn't noticed it for ages. I now have two big bags of kangaroo flour, which, uh, with most of the, apart from the illustration of a of a kangaroo and the name kangaroo flour as a brand name, everything else is written, is printed in Chinese. So exactly. It I gives the that... impression that it's an Aussie flour, but um, <laughs> well, not true. Yeah. It's made in Hong Kong. So yeah, what do you plan yeah. to make with your two big bags of flour? Well, bread was something that I wanted to make because I found a recipe online. If this works, I'll do tell you, you more about it. But, but do you have but yeast found... as well? Because don't you need yeast yeah. for bread? So that's under that's a shortage. Is that there's shortage it is of in, yeast? It is in shortage. I managed to get both uh, yesterday. By uh, was it yesterday? Yeah. So 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 I mean, yeah, kangaroo flour. Let's see how it goes. It, I mean, it's um not going to be your finest uh, Italian grain there, Noreen. Uh, some of us might have just got frozen, <laughs> but, uh, but, it, but it might suit the purpose. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm aware of the uh, of the time here, Noreen, at the moment. There was a couple more things I wanted to mention. Not can sure I, if... Uh, yes, uh, perhaps we can continue a, a little bit after the news. Sorry, I, I did interrupt you a little bit with my uh, flower discovery um, no, no, online. No, not at all. No. Um, we've got about um, a minute before the news. Would you like to sort of continue? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the other uh, we, we did um, here try and engage my teenage son into a bit of baking, and he got involved when, when we still had a bit of flour before our drought for the last two and a half weeks that have now been replenished by kangaroo bread. Um, it's um, yeah, we made a lot of banana cake, oh. not banana bread, but banana cake, and it was uh, that was, uh, oh. half or more went in the freezer but just to kind of keep us keep us putting on more and more weight as the. Uh, 
as the quarantine era continues. Uh, sorry, forgive me. Isn't banana bread a cake, though? Or are we entering sort of Jaffa cake, mm, whether it's a cake or a biscuit the, kind of? Well, banana, banana cake, bread. Yeah, go on. Banana, banana bread is, is, a, is a bit more savoury. There's not so much sugar in it. It's a bit dense. It's a bit more dense. And, uh, and some people do really um, have it lightly toasted with butter on it. Oh. So it's a slightly different recipe. Ah, and also banana bread is, I'm just reading it up, banana bread is usually made with baking powder, whereas banana cake yeah. is is made use, use, using yeast. Correct, correct. And it's much, so it's much more, it's much lighter because of the yeast that puts, that aerates it more. Wow. That's, That's not more at all confusing where, where the banana bread doesn't have yeast, where regular bread has yeast. Anyway, we'll continue with a more interesting chat uh, with Andrew Dembina after the 2.30 news. A quick look at the weather forecast for this afternoon and tonight, mainly cloudy. Welcome back to the One Two Three show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Tuesday afternoon. Right, Andrew Dembina is on the line, our food and drink correspondent. Um, we were just earlier talking about the difference between banana bread and banana cake, which um, <laughs> so I, I've been enlightened. Banana bread is is uh, made with uh, baking powder and banana cake is made using yeast, which is why it's a lighter and more aerated. Is that what you said? That's yes. Exactly, Nora, exactly. And, and generally people would put in a bit more uh, sugar for the banana cake because that's something you'd have, you know, as an afternoon tea kind of thing although banana banana bread also afternoon tea nothing wrong with that but you you, you tend to add, uh, add a little bit of salt in there and it's got a slightly more savory edge so you've got a bit of salt and sweetness from from the natural banana oh, um, very nice so yeah so the, the, the last um, sort of things that i really wanted to mention is that while we've got a time where we should be staying in more apart from thinking about what to cook and eating too many snacks like cake and banana bread and so on. It's, um, it's also, why not tempt yourself further by looking at some, getting retro in looking at some vintage cooking shows? And I uh, don't know what made me think of this, but I remember as a kid, as a very young kid, there, there was a program called Galloping Gourmet. Now, this will be before your time, Noreen. Yeah, and, I can't uh, say I've heard it. What is it again? Galloping? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it, it was a kind of madcap chef and cookbook writer, and his name, uh, he's still alive, his, his name is Graham Kerr, and he became known as the Galloping Gourmet, which uh, he, he founded or he launched a cookbook when he called himself that, basically he was using the title for the book because he was galloping through the recipe pages in a very approachable way, not unlike, let's say, Jamie Oliver, who was not mentioned for far too long, by the way, Doreen. <laughs> I um, thought you'd <laughs> mention him. <laughs> yeah. um, so he just who finally washes his in. vegetables. <laughs> yeah, that, that same fellow. Um, so... But but the other thing I always used to think as a, as a as a toddler, sort of going when I when I saw this program that my mum enjoyed watching, the Galloping Gourmet, which started I think in the late 1960s and went on to the early 1970s, was that he would come racing into a TV studio that was packed out with a live audience, and sometimes he'd do something like jump over the barriers at the front or go down. He, he'd literally come from behind stage into the crowd taking people's hands while they were all cheering and kind of blushing hoping they wouldn't be on the camera too much um and he would then 
go back to his table, take a swig of wine, um, or not always, but he'd sometimes do that. And his his delivery was very much of today's uh, kind of casual, informal approach to cooking programs. Very, very ahead of his time. And uh, he worked with his wife, who was also in the program. She was the producer, but he'd also kind of get her on stage sometimes. Her name was Trina. And it was just this kind of way ahead of its time uh, approachable show. You must watch some yourself if you've not seen them, because there's some on YouTube. I will, um, I will. The Galloping yeah. Gourmet. Yeah, and, um, yeah. I'm just looking him up. Graham Kerr, Scottish. Yeah. Right, I didn't realise he was Scottish. He speaks in a very plummy um, sort of South UK, you know, like a like a sort of Southern England uh, English accent. Uh, I mean, the the... the but, but everything is kind of a bit tongue-in-cheek. The show that I would recommend, if I had to pick one, and, you know, before talking about this today, I, I watched a few, and uh, I, I'd say that there's one that he recommends or where he goes through a recipe of a treacle tart. So that's pastry at the bottom and the top, and then there's a filling in it. But it's a very British dessert. Mm. And uh, what he does, he starts off... The, the, the people who produce the programme, including his wife, have, have found uh, a pub in uh, Berkshire, just outside of London in the south of England, which um, was visited by the Queen and other members of the royal family who have eaten that dessert there. And he gets the recipe from the chef, and then he recreates it for the audience and the TV viewers. So he, he starts rolling the video that they see in the, in the studio, very early days. It might have even been on a film projector for the audience in the, uh, in, the, in the sort of live part of the show where he does the recipe. They watch him and his wife going into this pub that's around the corner from the place that they uh, that they do the program from, and um, and he uh, and he talks about when the Queen visited the pub and what makes it a, a a great dessert and apparently that she really that the Queen really enjoyed it. Then he makes it and this is typical. He'll always go through really easily and if something doesn't work properly, he'll just um, have fun with it. If, if for example this tart or a cake got stuck in a tin, he'll just slam it down on the counter to get it out and the audience are roaring with laughter. That, that, that kind of informal presenting in the late 60s and 1970s did not happen apart from this guy. Wow, not, it not, sounds uh, really sort cooking. of ahead of its time in the it, sort of it, the presentation and just, um, yeah, sorry, go on. Yes, it is, it is and, it's, and it's still, it's one of those things. Sometimes things can be really dated, some of his non-politically correct sides um, are updated, but 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 the actual delivery and the whole mood of of, uh, of the way it's shot and him running around in the audience and is very much like today. Um, there are there are certain moments, and if you do watch that one, uh, we can uh, speak afterwards. I won't spoil it for you, but there's there's, there's one very un PC moment in it, but. Okay. Uh, I'll just let that one dangle. Maybe it will encourage people to have a look. Uh, that's the uh, um, the treacle tart version of the Galloping Gourmet, which you can find on YouTube. Um, the, oh, the, the best part about that show is that nobody knew when he'd finished making something and set it down on a stage table going around these various venues in the UK. He'd run into the crowd and pick out someone to dine with him. He'd literally go out there, no one would have a clue who it was going to be, and were always a bit embarrassed and got up there, and he'd try and make some live chat with these people with their mouthful, trying his dish, who were obviously feeling obliged to tell him how wonderful it was. 
Um, so that's 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 good. That makes for good, funny, awkward moments at the end of a cookery show. Absolutely, and and failing that, people can often feel inspired uh, by watching cooking shows because I think more people are sort of eating at home rather than going yeah. out because of yeah. of social distancing. I mean, even here in Hong Kong, you have to uh, be one point five meters apart from from each yeah. table, or even if you go with a family of four or more, you can't really go with them to the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it, we've spoken about this before. I'm still amazed that uh, the restaurants are still open, and I uh, I don't say that uh, that uh, you know I mean without thinking, of course, of the great cost to the owners and staff that work there. But uh, but but again, um, there should be compensation as there are in other parts of the world. It's, it is it is amazing that uh, that uh, the uh, you know the government in uh, in Hong Kong does have a lot more money to play with in other parts of the world but has been so slow in putting its hand in its pockets to compensate for um, the spectrum of people who need it. Yeah, well, but, it's just um, like uh, South Korea. They they don't have any sort of mandatory banning people uh, going out. They've just sort of relied on common sense, people wearing masks. I, th- I think the same sort of thing yeah. sort of applies in Hong Kong. Things... things Things are not bad enough for 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 this sort of mandatory ban, which is I, it depends I, I mean, how you look at it. Way, yeah, yeah, that is the way the uh, the, the the government um, I think is is seeing it. But um, but then again, it takes a a a further bunch of outbreaks as we saw, you know, with the hot pot one a long time ago now, um, or at yes. a certain bar, bar chain where people have happened. You know, everyone was saying, why aren't karaoke bars closed? The government was saying, oh, it's okay, we don't need to. And then, and then as soon as and there's boom. an outbreak, they, they shut it down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I, suppose, I suppose it will take for a few other people to be put into hospital um, with a mass outbreak in a few restaurants, and then the government will do it. Hopefully mm-hmm. that won't happen, but that's, that's the sort of thing that it would take rather than proactive measures. Yeah. But, um, but moving back to our look at retro um, themes... Um, the last thing about the Galloping Gourmet is that it looks at some 60s and 70s popular dishes, which is quite interesting because people ate a little bit differently then. Things were a bit more high fat, but um, they, things come kind of full circle so often, as I think we've uh, said before. That there was a time 10 or 15 years ago where people were saying, do not eat butter, avoid it, and so on, and now it's thought to be better than, margarine. than margarine, I example. was just thinking yeah. the same thing, exactly. People yeah. are talking about yeah. eating nuts and, and eating, yeah, mm. eating more uh, uh, fats. Yeah, exactly. But um, have a look at what um, some of the, say, dinner party fare was. Sometimes um, he's baking cakes or making pies and so on. Other times it's, uh, he'll suggest something for a fancy dinner party, something with, with a like, 1970s. Uh, French edge to it, which was very popular in Britain at that time. Um, there's another great site run by an Australian cook who calls herself Sarah Jane, um, and her site is called The Vintage Kitchen. She's got a blog, and she's also got a YouTube channel called The Vintage Kitchen, and she goes back a lot further than the 1960s and 70s. She goes back from what she says is the uh, 1800s, uh, up to 1979. She's been around since 2011, but that, that, that's the era of cooking that she took that from uh, the beginning of the 19th century to 1979. Um, and, the, and, and some of the findings that she comes out with are, are quite weird. There are uh, there are things called uh, 
beer butter, which is uh, a strange kind of uh, sauce that's made from uh, from beer that's meant to go on puddings. And there are other recipes that actually date back from further uh, than, than she says to the Tudor era in the UK. Mm. Um, uh, for, in, in case people are finding it hard to find flour, it's not all... There are pasties and pies in there, um, but there are things that don't rely just on that. Uh, an interesting one, actually, for people with a sweet tooth, uh, we just said butter is quite healthy, so don't feel too bad if you like the sound of this. English butterscotch, which is basically like a soft toffee, somewhere between toffee and fudge, from a 1934 recipe. So that's the Vintage Kitchen and uh, a, a YouTube channel where she's got some going through the process with recipes. Um, and there are links to uh, to the blog. And we don't know what her real name is. just calls herself Sarah Jane, as I mentioned. Um uh, finally, one thing that I just think I, I, I'll just mention, because it happened this morning while I was um, putting together the elements of what we've been talking about and researching them a bit further, I just got an email from a friend uh, who's a, uh, a journalist who used to be uh, the editor of Food Pages uh, for uh, parts of the SCMP. And um, he's sending around uh, a chain mail, email chain mail, which used to be a very popular idea, where you'd have... Uh, someone uh, send something to one person. It used to be done with jokes. I don't know if this is before your time as well, Doreen. You mean chain but, emails? Like, if you don't send it to ten people, something will happen to you? Oh, not those kind oh, of emails. Okay, a, sli- a, slightly, a slightly different idea. It's a system where you have uh, people at the top of a list. So this guy sent me... This list is very short, so they used to be sometimes longer. He sent me uh, the name of another person that had sent it to him, and then my friend is the second person on the list. So he's asked me to send a simple recipe to the person at the top of the list, and then when I, uh, which I will do, and then he wants me to send this chain email mm-hmm. to 10 people and put him, that's my friend, at the top of the list. So then he will get 10 recipes if the people I send an email to uh, send their recipes to him, oh. and uh, and then I'll be the next one to get them. If you, if you can understand that process, if that's not made that too complicated. No, no, you were very clear. It's um, yeah, <laughs> a bit a bit too clear, perhaps. <laughs> a bit too much on the uh, process of the email. Sure, but although yeah. you know, one thing about the coronavirus, um, sort of uh, staying at home, it's just made me realize how much people like maths. Have you noticed on social media there's so many people posting? weird maths questions. I mean, one famous one is Ali Howe um, posted <laughs> yesterday. I think you and I both commented. Well, actually, no, I mentally yeah. commented. I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I can't say that word. But anyway, um, she, okay, I'm just going to say it to the listeners. You may have heard it before, but it's, the riddle is, I have six eggs, I broke two, fried two, and ate two. How many do I have left? Mm. Um, and, well. yep. Just, I have six eggs. I broke two. I fried two, and I ate two. How many do I have left? I won't. I won't say the answer now. Maybe, maybe yeah. people can feel free to to write in one two three show at rthk.hk. Oh, why, why don't you put it on your Facebook page, Laurie? Yes, I can. I can do. Sure, <laughs> I, I can do. Um, I'll, I'll do that right away. Um, and yeah. and people will know the answer by tomorrow. I'll, I'll reveal okay, all. Cool. But I've just seen so many sort of maths riddles. Have you noticed that, or have our listeners noticed I, I, that? I, I, I have. I uh, yeah. The, the 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 one that you're going to put up and that I that I did see from Alison Howe um, is, uh, in my opinion, 
open to interpretation. There's a few different ways of reading it, which makes it interesting. And as, and as people do have a bit more time, it gives them time to ponder which way is the correct way. Um, um, yeah, there are there are there are riddles. There are visual riddles. There's been something that was popular going around with colourful triangles. How many can you see? And all of this, you know, it's stuff that, that normally, to be honest, I'll scroll past and never have time to even read properly. Um, but uh, but now yeah, people now people are lapping it up. Uh, now we can't get enough, and it's <laughs> and so and so now, now it'll be me deliberating over which of my not that many rappers I will send to this chain email. Um, to uh, to the person at the top of the list, and um, uh, I know you're in there working and preparing for your show, Noreen. But uh, but if I send an email to you asking you to join this recipe, uh, uh, people, are you going to join in? Ah, oh. sure. Okay, I got that. <laughs> right, uh, right. And I'll, I'll simply end by saying that uh, um, that my recipe um, will be a really, really easy casserole, which has got sausages and potatoes in it. Oh. And is uh, while while the temperature is still down a couple of degrees, um, I, I, it made me think. Hey, I haven't made this for a while. I'm going to make it. Well, very tempting. Well, yes, send it over, and we'll see what we can do. Well, meanwhile, Andrew, it's always great to have you on the program, and and many thanks uh, once again for for your sharing, and well done uh, getting the flour. So now you can try different things, and and not just focus on banana cake. Um, you can... <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let some of that stay in the freezer and let you know how I get on with the bread. Sure. All right. Well, take care and we'll we'll chat to you very you soon. Too. Look after yourself. Bye for now. Bye. And that's uh, Andrew Dambina, our food and drink uh, correspondent.